righty, we're going to wrap up the book of Joshua. I hope you've enjoyed it as I have. It's kind of sad to see it come to an end, but as they say, all good things must come to an end except heaven. You know, that, that will never come to an end. The eternal state is really what we call it. And uh, so uh, I, I hate to see it come to an end, but uh, I hope that you have grown spiritually through it. I certainly have. And uh, you'll have a greater appreciation of this wonderful book, Joshua. And remember, you know what? Uh, if you translate Joshua into Greek, it's Jesus, okay? Because the whole Bible is about Jesus. And the book of Joshua is about Jesus, and it shows us as New Testament believers how to live the victorious Christian life. Now, the title of this message is Joshua's Last Sermon. And if, you, if I were to preach my last sermon, whatever I preach is very important on my heart. So Joshua gets up and begins to preach this sermon, teaching them, hey, look, you may have conquered most of this land. And by the way, did you know this? They didn't. There were still Canaanites in the land. They hadn't conquered every single person there. That's why uh, they still had to go do what they were doing. You know, conquering more and more ground. By the way, do you think as a church that we will ever completely reach our full potential? No, after we're gone, hopefully there'll still be a Franklin Baptist church around if Jesus hadn't come back. And that church will this church will continue to conquer more ground for Jesus Christ. Did you know the Bible teaches that Israel will not have the full conquered ground until the millennium? So that's where we are. Now, if you, uh, I, I, my wife and I, you know, I told you that we watch a lot of reality TV because a lot of the other stuff is junk. So we look at reality TV, we look at documentaries and similar things like that. Well, one of the movie, one of the documentaries we watch is called Hoarders. Okay, some of you could qualify. Anyway, no, I'm teasing. A, a hoarder is someone who really has some kind of mental issue, to where they just can't let go of everything. I mean, they could have this, you know, they could have a bottle, and they could say, "I drove this in 1977, but I don't want to let it go." You know, and so their house is just completely full. And usually, the show starts off with these people and they walk into the house and it is filled six feet high. I mean, even there's dog droppings and cat droppings and all these animal droppings. The house has become unsafe because they hoarded all this stuff in there and they are in danger by the local health department. You don't get this cleaned up and you're going to get booted out. You're going to be evicted. And Joshua was one of those Israelites, you know what? You can, if you're not careful, you can hoard idols of the lands around you. And God said, if you start hoarding these idols instead of worshiping the one true God, you're in danger of getting booted out. So that's why I want to call it how to avoid being evicted. And you and I, even though we may be here walking with Jesus on fire for Jesus, if we're not careful... As Martin Luther said this in the 1500s, our heart is a perpetual idol factory. 
It's always cranking them out. You know, I keep pointing to things on the front row. I should bring them up here for But you know what? Don't you know that the mask com uh, companies are working 24-hour shifts just cranking these jokers out? Listen, this is what your heart will do if you don't stay on top of it. Jesus said, guard your heart with all diligence, he said in Proverbs. <laughs> well, he, he did ultimately say that. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. That is everything you are. And I want to tell you something. The devil is constantly trying to get you to bow down from idols to get you out of being on fire for Jesus and living in the Holy Spirit, the power of His Spirit. So how do we avoid being a victory? Uh, I mean, being evicted from victory. Now, Canaan represents the promised land the Spirit-filled life. It is the victorious Christian life. We, we're, what victory? We have victory over sin in our lives. We're able to deal with more and more sin and uh, eradicate it from our life. Uh, we have victory over Satan. We have victory over self. When we suffer, we, we get, learn how to have victory over that. And when we get setbacks in our lives, circumstances may look like they set us back, we can have victory in those situations if we will learn to live in the promised land and not start stacking up our idols and worshiping them again. Our community is filled with people who were once here, church members who were once here, and now... They're over here. They've gotten evicted from the promised land. Now, maybe some of you walk closely, but now you're not here. You're not here. Most of us live here. Borderline believers, we're not all sold out. We still have a little idolatry in our heart, and we're not all sold out. And so Joshua knows he's now 110 years old. He was 40 years old when he first went into the promised land and he was one of the spies at that time and said, we can take this land. We can reach God what God wanted us. And the other spies other than Joshua and Caleb said, we can't. It's too hard. It's too hard to be sold out to Jesus. And so they didn't. And so now he's 40-something, I mean, he was 40-something years old and now he is 110 years old. He's at the very last chapter of his life. And what a way to finish your life, but in the promised land. In the land of walking close to Jesus and encouraging, listen to this, the younger generation to also live for Jesus and be close for Him. Now there are four things that you and I must do how to avoid being evicted if we're not going to be booted out of this land. Some of you can honestly say, I'm not in that land. I'm not on fire for Jesus. There's some idols in my life that I haven't torn down. And so uh, God is also going to tell you how to get here again and then how not to get booted out again. So how to avoid being ejected. First of all, it's going to take careful reverence. Remember how the book of Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence. You, you can't slack up in this. You can't slack up any day. There's got to be a careful reference. Now look what Joshua told them in his last sermon. Now therefore, fear the Lord. 
That's reverence. And serve Him... I didn't underline these words, but I want you to focus in on that. Serve Him in sincerity, number one, and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. You cannot get casual in your walk with God. Now, one of the things that I really enjoy about society, I'm glad of, is this. Did you know that about 80% of all preachers now wear kind of a casual type outfit? A lot of them, especially the hipsters, wear those those skinny jeans. I don't think I'll ever be in skinny jeans again, okay? Uh, Anyway, I mean, some of those things are smaller than my arm right here, okay? And so a lot of these young hipster pastors, they'll have them some skinny jeans, and then they'll have a you know, maybe a white shirt on underneath it and and one of those funky-looking sport coats that would never fit my body again, you know, because they're, like, tight right here. And uh, mine would be super tight. Anyway, I kind of like that, okay? Because You know why I like that? For the sake of lost people. So many times, especially when I was a younger youth pastor and I'd wear a suit, I had to wear a suit to church, when I was a younger youth pastor in the 80s and 80s and the 90s, I'd wear a suit, and I would go out witnessing. I mean, not in the suit, but on Sunday morning. I'd go out witnessing, and how many times people could not afford nice clothes? And they would say to me, we don't have any nice clothes. Now, some of that was just an excuse, but some of it was real. They felt like if they didn't walk in the church with all these nice dresses and nice suits and stuff like that, they felt like they would just be like sticking out in a really bad way. And so I think that moving to a more casual... Most of y'all are in here. Y'all are casual, okay? I think that's good. It's okay to be casual in that sense, but it's not okay to be casual with God. You cannot do this unless you carefully continue to do this. Now, he said, I want you to revere God. The the word fear God does not mean to tremble at God like I'm scared of Him. It means to just respect Him, to have awe for Him. And God said it's dangerous to lose your fear of the Lord. Here's a few verses, not on the screen, but talk about the benefits Listen to these benefits if you learn to fear the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 25, 14, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. Hey, how do you know the will of God? God's secrets for you is you fear the Lord. Hey, isn't that cool? You ever had somebody come up to you and say, Now, now don't say this to anybody, and, and they tell you a secret. I remember my dad used to... Uh, go up to people. Uh, Dad had bad moles all over him by the time he died. You know, I mean, he just looked like, I don't know, a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> just saturated. And Dad would go up to, to people and he'd say, I got something I want to share with you. Oh, no. and, and they'd always lean in. Everybody loves a secret. And Dad said, I'd like to share some of these moles with you. And they'd all go, ah! You know, all right, God, here's what God will do. If you'll fear him, He'll say, oh, here's Jeff Hawkins. He's feared me, and I'm going to tell him some secrets that nobody else will know just for his life. And so the fear of the Lord, you can know his secrets just for you. 
Psalm 31, 19. How great is thy goodness, which thou hast wrought, stored up for those who fear thee. He's already got a storage cabinet full of stuff to give you if you fear him of goodness. Psalm 33. uh, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Hey, look at a loving mother. She's got her eye on her kids. God said God's eye is going to be on you in a special way. He's going to be protecting you in a special way. Hey, here's what I've learned. God is gracious over here. But I'm telling you, when you get under the authority of Him, His authority and reverence Him, He puts a special hedge of protection around you. So the eye of the Lord is watching. Uh, He'll bless you. Psalm 115, 13, he will bless those who fear the Lord. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord favors those who fear him. God has no favorites. Fooey on that. He had three favorite disciples, Peter, James, and John. You know why he had them? Because they were the most sold out to him. And he let them know special things. So... Uh, And remember how John called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? Does that mean that Jesus didn't love everybody? No, he loved everybody, but he was intimate with John. This is where intimacy is. So when we talk about fearing the Lord, there is a lot of great blessings, but let's define what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it's not a superstitious fear of God. Did you know back in the medieval times and they built all these beautiful, beautiful churches and on the outside of these beautiful churches they would put these little gargles, you know? These creepy looking ghoulish things on the outside of this wonderful, quote unquote, holy chapel. Why did they do that? You know why? Because they felt those little gargles would keep the demons away. It was just medieval superstition. That's not what it means to, to fear, the, fear God. I, I have friends, I kid you not, they'll say, hey, can you pray over my house? i got a lot of juju in my house. I'm like, juju? You ain't got no juju. Just obey the Lord and He'll take care of the demons that are in your house. It's, it, it, and, and, she, and, and this friend of mine, she says, I've been burning candles and all that kind of stuff. Candles ain't going to drive it out. That's a superstitious understanding of God. Okay, so it's not superstitious. It's not a slavish fear to where you feel like God is, you know, on His throne and you're walking with Him and you're like, okay, I, I, I fear you, I fear you. And He takes this whip and goes, and don't you forget it. It's not a slavish fear. It is a sanctified fear, meaning it's a holy kind of fear. When Jay was little, we wanted him to fear us. But did we love him? Absolutely. You never know what love is until you have a child, you know, or a grandchild, or a nephew. You never know what love is until you have one of those. And you know if that child doesn't learn to respect you, they will not respect authority when they get older. If they don't respect you, they won't respect God. They won't respect the police. And so... You want your child to know you love them absolutely, but you will not let them get away with disobedience and a sassy talk back to you. 
And that included when Jay was a teenager. <laughs> Stop. If you're going to talk that way, you go to your room, that kind of thing. And, and he, he did pretty well on that. He really did. We were grateful for that. But we taught him to fear us early in age. I'll never forget one time we walked in on him. Uh, well, I walked in on him when he was a little baby. He's in his diapers. He was just starting to walk. And I walk in there, and he's got one of the drawers open in our room. I mean, he's just barely walking. He's pulling the drawer back, and I walked in, and he went, he did this. You know why? He knew he was doing wrong, and he feared what daddy was going to do, and he knew a little pat on the booty was coming, and you know what he did? After he did that, he went, he squatted down, because you know how when a kid squats, it's hard to get their little booty a little bit, okay? All right. Bet you never heard a pastor say the word booty from the pulpit. I break them all. Okay, so there's got to be this careful reverence of God. Remember how Jesus calmed the sea? And when he spoke a word, and you know, it's bad, bad storm, dark, rain. And Jesus said, hush, be muzzled. And all of a sudden rain, stop, sunshine. We're actually moonshine. Anyway, <laughs> it stopped and the Bible says they were in awe. And they're like... Who is this who can stop the wind and the rain? I tell you, one thing that will keep you from backsliding off the land of blessing, being evicted, is don't ever lose your holy fear and awe of God. It takes careful reverence. Here's the next thing. It takes courageous resolve. It takes courageous resolve. Now look what it says right here. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, remember Joshua's talking to the Israelites, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, uh, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, look at this. We will. That's a resolve. We will. Serve the Lord. It takes a courageous resolve. That word serve the Lord doesn't mean the sense of serving like a... How many of you would like... I mean, we need to get some deacons to serve. How many would you, uh, uh, Gene and uh, Steve, serve in our media ministry or sound ministry, okay? It's not talking about that. That word there means to do homage to God. It, it means to bow down and serve Him. I mean, and worship Him. So the idea is this, courageous choice to choose to worship Him. That's what, a, what it means literally there in the original language of, of Hebrew. And it says, if you'll remember, back in 14, uh, for, for 14 when we first read this, remember I told you focusing on that word sincerity and truth? Now, here's why. It tells us how to worship God. We're to have sincere worship. That word sincere means to be without blemish. In the book of Malachi, it's a scathing book about the Israelites. And it's the last book of the Old Testament. And he says, when you come to worship me, you know what you're doing? You're not bringing a spotless lamb. God wanted spotless lamb to represent the spotless lamb of Jesus. You're not bringing me these spotless lambs. What are you bringing me? You're bringing me this blemish lamb. You're bringing me the cheap part of your crop. 
you're bringing me the leftovers. How many of you bring your leftovers to Jesus and then sing a song about all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give? And God said, that is insincere worship. Jesus said to the Pharisees, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They did not have sincere worship. So Joshua said, if you want to stay here, you've got to resolve, I'm going to worship God, and I'm going to worship Him sincerely with my whole heart. Everything's on the table before God. Then, the next thing, they're to worship Him scripturally. That is, with truth. Jesus said to this woman uh, at the well, she said, you Israelites worship at the temple, but we worship here over, over in this place, over in Samaria. And Jesus said, cut that out. God is not so much interested where you worship, but are you worshiping Him in spirit, that sincerity, and in truth? Here's why. There are so many churches today, I could name some of them, that are very, very famous, and here's what they do. Their worship is based on emotion. Their worship is getting together, singing some pep songs for Jesus and getting fired up. You can get fired up in your emotions. Music will make you fired up. Gene, I remember when I was uh, in high school, there was a song by the Scorpions called, um, and they were not a gospel group, by the way, the Scorpions. Okay, and there was a song called, There's No One Like You. And I remember, because I could play that guitar. <laughs> and anyway, that, when I'd hear that song, I'd get fired up. I'd have a lot of emotions. God said, don't just serve me with a lot of emotions that you've stirred up. Serve me also with the, according to the truth of my word. Serve Him in sincerity and truth. And then it says this, it must be steadfast worship. We will keep doing it. All right, now here's the next thing. It takes careful reverence. I'm sorry, what did I do? I just did that backwards, did I not? Something happened there. Okay, what happened? I thought I read... Oh, there we go. That's why. It, so we, we look back, it takes careful reverence. It takes courageous resolve to worship Him. And then it takes continual repentance. Continual repentance. Look what it says right here in Joshua 24 through 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. And here's the repentance. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now think about this. They had been out of Egypt for 57 years. I'm 54. And yet Joshua said, you better be careful and put those gods away. You know why? Because he knew those gods would pop back up. You ever... Uh, one of my first jobs was this. I was 15 years old, and this lady had, older lady had me come to her house, and she wanted me to pull weeds. And so I went, I'm 15. I, you know, I'm your typical teenager. I had a bad attitude that time. I'm like, oh, gosh. You know... And so I was out there pulling these high as blue blazes and everything. And she said, you want to go in for lunch? And um, I'm like, okay. And I heard her cooking a hamburger. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is great. It was so good, you know, just smelling. She brought that hamburger there. No bun, just hamburger. And beside it, she brought those, what are those little ball-looking lettuce things? 
not broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and put on there. I'm like, Brussels sprouts? Where's the French fries? You know? And, and, but listen, even though I did that for one time, guess what happens to those weeds? About a month later, boop, they pop back up. If you don't continually repent and say, God, I mean, every day you've got to repent. Every day you've got to look, review your day and say, Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. Why? Because I'm going to stay here. You know why? Because if I'm not, every day weed's going to try to pop up. Got to keep clipping them down, clipping them down. It takes continual repentance. Man is created to worship God. If we don't sell out for Jesus, guess what happens? An idol pops up. Did you know this? There are idol worshipers in here. He said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not bowing down to some statue. Uh, no, you're not. But there are ancient gods that America still serves today. And as I heard one say, the, uh, the names have changed to protect the guilty. Okay? Here are those same gods that the Canaanites serve that we serve today. They're just under a different name. They're not literal statues, but they're idols of the heart, which is where idolatry begins. First of all, there's the god of mammon that was an ancient god. This was the god of wealth. Hey, you think that's being served today? You think America's a materialistic society? They're not bowing down to a statue called mammon. They're bowing down to the almighty dollar. Okay? And they're just consumed with getting wealth. And greedy. By the way, you do know this. You can be poor and be greedy. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. You can be dirt poor and always wanting and wanting and wanting to get rich. That's where a lot of this gambling comes from. And then Bacchus was the god of pleasure. He was the god of partying, okay? Think there's a lot of partying going on in America? Absolutely, all right? There's Aphrodite, the goddess of sexual promiscuity. Can you find hardly any couple that, I mean, all over the United States, there's just all this kind of separate sexual promiscuity among teenagers. It's just a given to practice sexual promiscuity. No big deal about that. You're bowing down to the God of Aphrodite. Then there's the God of war, hate, and revenge. Let me talk about Black Lives Matter. Let me talk about Antifa. They are wanting to get revenge because of this wicked nation that messed them up 200 years ago that I had nothing to do with and they want to punish us for it or whoever is standing in their way. There's the God of war. I'm telling you, Black Lives Matter, Antifa and other groups are bowing down for revenge by the God of Mars. All right, here's another uh, uh, thing we worship. And that is Sophia which in Greek means um, wisdom. It's the God of wisdom. You know what that means? The God of good grades. <laughs> you ever known somebody uh, who was real smart in school and they could not stand to get a 3.9.5? They've got to have a 4.0. And if they somehow do not reach that 4.0, they will go chew out the teacher. You know why? Because they've made a God out of being smart. A God of wisdom. Now here's the biggest one in Canaan at that time. It was, his name was Baal. We call it Baal, but so you know what I mean. 
uh, he was the main God that the Canaanites served. Let me show you a picture of what we think he looked like. He's like a bull. And there's some, and he, they have a f- continual fire burning in front of him. And what do you see these ancient Canaanites doing? They'd offer their children on this burning bronze fire to Baal. Boy, that, that's wicked. And you say, well, we don't worship Baal. Oh, do we not? Steve Farrar said this. Here are the four characteristics of Baal worship. Back in the Old Testament, see if we don't bow down to this same God. Baal was pro-choice. They sacrificed their children to, to Baal. They believed in abortion. They were environmentalists. You know why? Because they were much more concerned about fertility and crops than they were human beings. It doesn't matter if uh, people are dying of thirst and you need to build a dam and run electricity so you can keep the electricity going in California so they don't have blackouts all the time. What we've got to do, we've got to be careful about them trees. We've got to be careful about the snail darter snail or whatever his name is. They were environmentalists. They are tree huggers. They're bail huggers is what they are. Now, now this, this just shows you how insane this is. You know, California always has these fires. You know why they have these fires? Because they won't let them cut down any trees to make fire breaks. They won't go in there and clean up the brush around these trees. Don't disturb the trees. And then they turn out burning millions of acres. It's like, do you realize what you're doing? By your worship of the environment, you're actually destroying the environment. That makes no sense. That's because God says when you disobey Him and kick Him out, you'll have a reprobate mind. Everything black will turn white. Everything white will turn black. So here's another thing about the Baal worshipers. They were sexually promiscuous. And the main thing about it was homosexuality. Have you noticed, especially in the last few years, that whenever you turn on a commercial, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's not a commercial for something bad. It's a commercial for something good, like a Hallmark movie. And so they show a young family, man and woman, and then they show two single people, and they always show two men together. And they usually kiss each other. Or two women together. And there's this one commercial right now that I watch it, and it's got the next thing is transvestites. And they use them to make commercials, and they make it seem normative. You know why? Because we are bowing down the same gods of the Canaanites. Then here's another characteristic of Baal worshipers. Their religion had hidden paganism. See, Satan is clever. Satan can even move into the church. They sought to legitimize Baal worship by mixing it with the worship of Israel's God. When you go down to Haiti, they have voodoo. But a lot of times they don't have pure voodoo, witchcraft. You know what they do? They mix it with Catholicism. And so if you ask them, uh, what are you? They'd say, I'm a Catholic. But they they would mix it with false worship and deities and bowing down to the saints together. Boy, does that not sound like we're doing a lot of that today. Now, how should we put them away real quickly? We should put them away fully. Nothing, nothing left in your life that's idolatrous, that's keeping you 
from truly worshiping Jesus. Do it fully. Ask God to tell you every idol in your heart and deal with it. And then we're to do it forcefully because you've got to uproot those things. When you're pulling up weeds, you can't just go snip, snip. You've got to go, <clears throat> okay? That's what we're to do with those idols by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the last thing very quickly. It takes complete reliance. If we're going to stay, that means complete trust, complete commitment. Look at what Joshua said here. After, after he preached this sermon, after the sermon was over, uh, uh, like a Baptist pastor would say, uh, anybody have a testimony? Okay, here was their testimony. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Yeah, right. For the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And even the Lord drove... From, uh, bef- drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land, we also, amen preacher, we will serve the Lord for He is our God. Now here's the deal. People who are much smarter than I am, who understand the way that original language was worded, it was like a half-hearted commitment. It was like based out of emotion. How many people get really convicted for their sins and like, I need to rededicate my life. Pastor, why are you here? You here to get saved? No, I'm saved, but I need to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. They're all fired up. They're boo-hooing and stuff like that. Next week, that's what these people were doing. And God said, you can't do that. You've got to make a complete, committed choice. Now what, what Joshua said to them right here, about this complete commitment. Then Joshua said back to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord for He is a holy God, He is a jealous God, He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. That doesn't mean that eternal life is canceled out, it just means this, I'm not going to let you get away with rebellion and stay in the promised land, that's what he's saying. If you forsake the Lord and serve gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done good to you. God will even discipline His own people. God will discipline America. And the people said to Joshua, now they're getting really convicted. No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen for yourselves to serve the Lord. And they said, we are witnesses. Okay, we mean it. Now therefore, put away the gods which are in your midst. Get rid of the idols. And then it says this, and incline your hearts to the God of Israel. You you know what that means? It means is, when you get rid of the idols, cling to Jesus. You know what a lot of Christians do? They want to rededicate their lives, and they say, man, I want to get committed, and they throw out a few idols, but they don't throw out a whole lot of And no matter how hard they try to cling to Jesus, they can't cling to Jesus and stay, stay really committed. You know why? You've got to get rid of all your idols. And then don't just leave an empty vacuum. Cling to the Lord. Incline your heart to cling to the Lord. It takes complete reliance. Now notice at the end of the sermon, and he gave an altar call. This is really encouraging. He told them about 
careful reverence, fearing the Lord. He told them about courageous resolve. We will worship the Lord. He told them about continual repentance. I'm not going to let any idols pop back up. If they do, I'm going to cast them back out again. And when I do, I'm not just going to cast them out and do nothing. I'm going to cling to the Lord. Incline your hearts to me. But here's what they did in the altar call. This is encouraging. Joshua 24, 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the elders who survived Joshua, the next generation, had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done with Israel. So they just had a real revival and they stayed fired up for Jesus. And guess what Joshua said? He said to them, look at this. Going back, look, look what it says there underlined there. After they made this commitment, he said, Behold, this stone, he put up a stone, shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it will be a witness against you, lest you deny the Lord your God. He had something tangible to remind him of their commitment. Hey, what is it that is tangible that reminds us of our salvation to God? This is something tangible to remind us we are a child of God. We are now dead to our sin. Okay? Now, that's something tangible. What is something tangible that we can do? I'm going to give you something practical. Something tangible we could do. A stone you could set up. And here's what it looks like. Alright, I want you to do this. I googled, is there any kind of sign that we can get that will remind us of a commitment I'm going to ask you to make? And I want you, these things are $10 a piece. If you can't afford it, we'll take care of it. $10 a piece. That's as cheap as I can get it, but it's still looking good. It's a nice looking sign. It's 10 by 3 and a half, I think it is. Not a huge sign, but here's what I want you to do, and we're going to do this. Gail, we're going to do this. I don't know if you knew that or not, but we're going to do this. Okay. We won't take the money out of your reserve fund, okay? I'll take it out of mine. We're going to buy this sign. We're going to put it up somewhere in our house. Doesn't matter where you put it up. Put it up somewhere in your house, but a place that you can continually see it, that you made this commitment today is for me and my house will serve the Lord. That will be the stone as the witness for us. So now, in light of that, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you... I'm going to call you to what Joshua said. When he said...